And Lord, we need to be called back to that reality right here and right now. And so would you do that? Would you show us that beyond all things, this is the most important, that this is the thing that we need to hear. Um, This is the thing that we need to experience through Christ right now. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So we've been saying that the gospel is the announcement, the good news announcement that King of the universe has uh, come from heaven into the earth through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so what it looks like in heaven, how God reigns, is coming into the world through Jesus Christ, and he's ruling and reigning in the way that Adam and Eve should have ruled and reigned, in the way that we should have ruled and reigned to begin with. And what we see every week at Redeemer, we, we say this all the time, is that you can never hear the gospel or experience the gospel and walk away unchanged. You are always, it's not a static relationship. When you, whenever you interact with the person of Jesus, whenever you interact with the Bible, you are either going to be moving towards him or moving away from him, despite whether you claim to be a Christian, despite whether you've been around it your whole life, despite whether you're a, an outwardly moral person or not. Uh, the gospel is always changing us. It's always Attracting us to it or repelling us away from it. And what Jesus is showing us today is that he wants to rule. So he rules in the sickness realm, the physical realm. He rules in the spiritual realm is what we saw the past couple of weeks. And now he wants to emphasize another area that he wants to rule. And it's the internal human heart and your disposition as a person. He wants to have rule over that. And he says that this is what makes, this is not only what makes a Christian a Christian, but it's what keeps a Christian a Christian. And it's this. Do you desire mercy? Do you long for mercy? Do you long for it for yourself? And do you love it when it's extended to you? Do you love extending it to other people? Now, what what is mercy? Mercy is absorbing the cost or pain of something without retaliating or making somebody pay. So, for instance, I hit my friend in the face with a golf club once with a sandwich, and I remember uh, wanting him to hit me back after I did that. I literally asked him to punch me for a solid minute. I said, just please hit me back because I felt so terrible. And he wouldn't. He would not make me pay. But that... That went, that, you know, the cost of that went somewhere. It went to his cheek. He absorbed the pain of that, but he showed me mercy and not retaliating. Now, what the gospel says is that when a person takes that into the heart of their very life, that from the beginning there is a sense into which God has not given me what I deserve, that I live every day in massive amounts of, of my life, I pretend like God is not the God of my life. In actions and thoughts and the way I just live and, and move. And because of that, that's offensive to God. He is my creator. I am his creature. He deserves my allegiance. That's offensive to him. And he doesn't make me pay. What the gospel says is that when that goes into the very heart of a human being, it makes a person merciful. It makes a person look like a Christian and continue to stay a Christian. And that's why Jesus calls a person in front of everybody 
He calls a person his disciple, a person like Matthew. You know, the, the name Matthew means gift of God. And the irony of Matthew in our section is that he was the opposite of a gift to his community. He would have been considered like a pariah on his community because he was a tax collector. Now, um, there were many things, in the, just like in our culture, we are divided on like everything, you know, like the color of the paint um, and everything else in the world. Uh, they were like that in the first century, too. But there was one thing that they kind of unanimously agreed upon, and it was that tax collectors were terrible people. Everyone could kind of like rally around that because they worked for Rome, which was the oppressor of God's people, the Jews. And if that wasn't bad enough, they took, they were kind of like an ATM machine, one scholar says. They, they collected taxes for the oppressor of their own people, and then they would take little cuts of that tax money for themselves, and then that's how they got really rich. They were really wealthy by saddling up with the oppressor of their own people. And it was legal. Um, you know, think, think like the CEO of a very profitable sex trafficking industry, something like that. Um, that's the type of person Matthew was. Matthew was the type of person that was so unanimously hated that people would say stuff like this about, I can't believe that you can live with yourself. Like, how do you as a person go to sleep at night and be able to shut your eyes? And Jesus comes right into this guy's tax booth and he says, follow me. Now, I just want to stop right there and let us all meditate on what that act has to do with Jesus's ability to and authority to forgive sins. So right before this section, Jesus forgives the sin of a paralytic, and then he heals this paralytic. And it's very easy to miss this, but, but Jesus, just like forgiving the paralytic, what he's claiming to be in the life of Matthew is the true offended party of the sin of his life. It's not just the community that he's hurting, but Jesus is saying, you're actually, you're an offense to me. It's a, it's a claim to be God. That Matthew's behavior is hurting Jesus worse, worse of all. And there's this thread, and it's very, very interesting. If you go down to the root of like your own actions, there's this thread throughout Scripture, and you see it in places like Psalm 51, where an individual can like um, commit an injustice or a sin, and it does wreak havoc on the individuals in their lives or the community and even the nation. And so you got a guy like King David. He commits adultery, and then he murders somebody, and it's terrible for the nation. And then he writes a song, Psalm 51, and then he says this very interesting line. He says, it's against you and you alone have I sinned, God. And this is why Jesus is approaching Matthew. Matthew's sin is first and foremost against God. And what Jesus is doing as he approaches this tax booth is that he's saying, I'm about to show all of y'all how God handles the worst people. The worst people that you know. I'm showing you Pharisees. I'm showing you disciples. I'm showing you crowds. The kinds of people that are in my kingdom and the kinds of people that I desire to have in my kingdom. So Matthew, follow me. And he did. 
and then he goes to eat at Matthew's house with other tax collectors and other especially bad people. Okay? This is what's happening. Because God in the flesh is far more interested in your own need for mercy as opposed to what you can do for him. That's the rub. That's what God cares about. He cares about your own disposition towards him and if you think you need mercy or not. Everyone is looking at Matthew and thinking, this guy is morally bankrupt. And what Jesus is saying, and I want him in my kingdom, and if he gets in my kingdom, then any bad person can get in my kingdom. Now that does two things. That's really, really, really good news for especially bad people, right? And it's not good news for those who think they're good. Those types of people who think that they are good will be repelled by Jesus. The reason why is because they won't see their need for him. And just like them, the religious institutions of the day, today, in the year 2022, we are filled, our congregation is filled with both types of people at any given moment. Those who are repelled and attracted to Jesus. So how do you know if you're moving away or towards him? Well, one way, if you look at verse 11, one way to know is if you are more concerned with the sin of other people as opposed to the sin that resides in yourself. That's one surefire way to know if Jesus is becoming attractive to you. That if you're hyper-focused on the sin of another person and you don't see your own desperate need, you know that parable where, where the sinner is like beating his chest and he's like, God, please have mercy on me. And then the other guy's like, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this person. You know, Jesus is sitting there in the home of traitors and sinners and the Pharisees ask the disciples. They don't ask Jesus. They ask the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And so Jesus, seeing what's happening, addresses them directly in verses 12 through 13 and he says those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick go and learn what this means i desire mercy and not sacrifice for i came to call not the righteous but sinners by jesus's own words he says this takes a long time to understand it takes a while to get this and most of us, you know, when we think of Christianity, we really do. By, by default, we think it's for like good people that like some for some reason they enjoy making sacrifices for God. You know, they're, they're like selfless. They give things up or do certain things because they are Christian. But just think about those simple words that Jesus said in the text 12 and 13. Here's what Jesus is saying. I came for bad people. I didn't come for good people. I came for bad people. I came for those who are really sick. I came for those who don't have a chance. I came for those who aren't well, who aren't well adjusted. 
I came for people like Matthew. One of the main problems with the Pharisees is that they didn't think that they needed forgiveness and mercy, not to the extent that Matthew needed it. They would probably say things like, you know, like sort of in a general way, like, you know, everybody messes up. Right? We all make mistakes, you know, so they would do the, the thing. They would go to the temple, they would make their sacrifices to fulfill their duty. But what Jesus is showing them is that they desperately needed him in a very personal way. And the hard part for them is the same for us, is that we're not quite sure that we even want mercy. And that reveals itself in our lives when we try to base our identity on anything else, whether it's our accomplishments or if we get too worked up over when our life gets hard. So, for instance, there's this great litmus test that you can always give yourself throughout your life. I try to do it from time to time just to make sure I know <laughs> where my heart is. But this is, this is the rub, y'all. If Jesus walked into this room and he knows you, he knows your heart, he knows what you want, he knows what you don't want, he knows what you did and what you didn't do. And he said to you, I will give you the thing that you want. Right here. I'll give you the job. I'll give you the freedom to, to not be afraid. I will give you the family that you really want. I will make your kids adjust in the way that you need them to adjust so that you can have some peace. Or your parents, if you're a kid. <laughs> if he said, I mean, let's, let's get real. If he said, I want to give you a stable future financially so that you and your children and your grandchildren, you don't have to think about money, for three generations. I can take that hard situation out of your life, that annoying person that, that constantly nags you, that constantly beats you down, I get rid of it. Or you can have mercy. Which would you choose? Jesus is saying the most fundamental thing that you need is healing from the heart. When it's all stripped away and you stand before God, what is left of you then? You know what's left of Matthew? The righteousness of Jesus. Jesus is saying that you need me. And your life ought not to be characterized by what you've accomplished. Or your circumstances. That your life is not to be characterized by all the things that you've given up or sacrificed for God or for your family, for your community. None of that. Jesus desires for you to be merciful. A merciful person. And that's impossible unless you see your deepest need is for someone to be merciful to you. There's a brother and friend of ours in another church that we're connected to. His name is Jake Meter, and he said that there's a, this is the concept of good debt. We often don't think of debt as being good, but he said that one time he was out in the snow. Uh, he, he was driving out late at night, like 2 a.m. in the winter in Lincoln, Nebraska, which by yourself, you don't really need to do that because you get stuck in the snow, which he did. 
And so he had to make the dreaded call to his parents, and his dad was like, okay, I'll come out. And so he shovels him out. He's like, Jake, you really shouldn't have been driving out in the snow by yourself this late. And then he said, Jake said, on the way home, my dad said, you know, my, my dad used to do this for me all the time too. I'd get stuck, and he'd come out, and he'd get me unstuck. And in so many words, Jake says, the debt that we owe others can be paid throughout generations when we have a spirit of showing mercy because we have been shown mercy. Meaning, this is how it translates into communities. This is why mercy is a wonderful thing. What do you think is going to happen when Jake's son grows up and he gets stuck in the snow and he calls Jake at 2 a.m. at night? This is what the anti-gospel says. I get what I deserve because I work hard. Why should I have to extend myself? It's their mistake. Let them learn the lesson, you know. When we say it's not fair that these people get a free pass, it's not fair that I worked hard and I get less than them, it's not right that I do all the work and I get none of the credit. And Jesus constantly is saying, that's the gospel. In his miracles, in his parables, it is that we contribute nothing and we get all the credit. You guys know what a group assignment is? You know what a group assignment is, you know. This miraculous thing happened to me when I was in seminary, ethics class, terribly difficult class. Um, I, I'm like, you know, I didn't do good in school on standardized testing. I have a small brain, you know, and so I'm scared. I'm insecure about my, my grades in seminary, and I'm trying to work hard. And uh, lo and behold, the group assignment for the ethics final exam is that we can team up with somebody and combine our brain powers to get a grade on the test. And lo and behold, Thomas Warmath asked if I wanted to be his partner. And I was like, yes, a million times yes, Thomas, because I didn't have to think about it, because Thomas was the smartest guy in the class and the most responsible. And what I contributed to that test is that I brought over cookies. <laughs> and as I am eating the cookies that I made, and Thomas is like, well, what do you think about this answer? You think this is going to like, yeah, man, this sounds really good. And what, what grade do you think I got? I got Thomas's grade, which is an A+. And what Jesus says is that in the economy of the world, I'm the only responsible student there is. And so I have the right to invite anybody into my group that I want to invite. Here's what this means. And this is the beauty, y'all, this is the beauty of the gospel. This is why everything turns in on itself with Jesus it is the exact areas where you feel less than, which are the avenues by which you come to know Jesus Christ. Where you come to believe in a, in a very felt sense that I don't have any righteousness, but I have his that I don't contribute to his righteousness, I don't contribute to his goodness. I don't have anything to offer. Just like Matthew. And so the precise ways in which you feel inadequate, the, way, <laughs> the things that you're trying to hide from everybody, and you're trying to hide from yourself, Jesus is like, that's where I want to show you who I am. That's where the gospel is. That's your tax booth. We all got one. And Jesus wants to go up in that tax booth and be like, hey, follow me. Follow me. 
And when, when you realize that, you know, you slowly come to, to the conclusion that maybe God is, is preventing me from certain things. Maybe he's not taking away that dysfunction in my life. Maybe he's not taking away that sin in my life. Maybe I'm not getting that break at work that I really, really desperately want. Or maybe that annoying person continues to nag me because if Jesus took it away, we would forget our need for him. We would forget that we need most of all mercy. And through that, he keeps us weak so that he can show himself to be powerful you, you see how this is the very opposite of the culture in which we live? And I'm not talking about like the bad world. I'm talking about our hearts. I'm talking about every the, the flesh that wants to prove itself. And the beauty of who God is is that he doesn't he didn't really care that much about what you do for him. He just wants you. And if you believe that, of course you're going to make sacrifices for him. Of course you're going to stand up for innocent lives. Of course you're going to fight against injustice. And you'll make all sorts of sacrifices for him. But it's, it's out of love, not out of obligation. It will be by choice because this is your king and he is merciful. And what the spirit of God is, it gets poured out into the life of another person is that that mercy gets extended out into the world so that you become the gospel in flesh, his body in the world, extending and receiving mercy. Because he's just so freaking awesome. The, the measure at which you receive mercy will be the measure of mercy that you show to others. And the more you drink that in deeply will directly control your love for God and your love for other people. So if your mercy has a limit with certain people in your life, that, that means that you have a limit with how much mercy God has shown you. And here, here's how this plays itself out, and we're going to end right here. Um, when you walk by a homeless person, you drive by a homeless person, do you see yourself? When you look at somebody that's totally morally bankrupt, do you see yourself? When you look at somebody like Matthew, the pariahs of society, do you see yourself? And if you do, what begins to happen is that you will begin to extend mercy wherever and to whomever you're around. And what you get in return is the very blessing of the gospel. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. That's what the kingdom of the gospel can do in the individual human heart, which is one aspect of the gospel. Let's pray, and then we will continue in worship through confession. Father, we thank you for your kindness and your, your steadfast love, which endures forever. We thank you for calling people like Matthew. And we've got to confess, Lord, uh, we often don't want to associate with people like Matthew. We often don't want to think that 
these are the types of people um, that you're calling to yourself. But it's true, Lord. And if truth be told, um, all of us, all of us have no luck to stand on in and of ourselves. And you were pleased to come into a world like that, to clean up a mess you didn't make, to be kind to those who are not kind to you, so that we could get the actual taste of the gospel in our lives and spread it out.